Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Block Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jora, and they did it to me again. They uh, had my North Carolina State Wolfpack play a 9 o'clock game. We're coming down to the wire. They're playing Syracuse. Uh, State leads by five with the ball. And, uh, you know, I know you don't want to hear a play-by-play, so let's bring, an arc, bring on our guest tonight, and that's uh, Dave Jordan from the Hardball Times. He's also the uh, co-author of the tremendous book, Fastball John. Dave, welcome back to the show. Oh, Brian, thank you so much for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to hang out, even if things get a little dicey at the end of this hoops game. Oh, well, I, I think the uh, the good guys are going to pull it out. But uh, let, let's uh, switch over to the Mets. And, uh, you know, one of the, the big stories here in, in early spring training is uh, Mickey Calloway. Of course, he's getting a lot of attention being the, the, the new skipper and all. And he's talking big, and he's saying that the talent is there and if the Mets don't succeed, it, it will be his fault. And I guess what I want to know from you, is, is this the right way to go with this particular fan base, which, uh, I don't know, I guess I would describe as a, a kind of a fragile fan base. Is it is it good to build up hopes like that? Well, you know, it has, it has had more than their fair share of uh, victory being pulled from the jaws of defeat, or the other way around, defeat being pulled from the jaws of victory. But, you know, absolutely, accountability is huge. He's saying all the right things. I think part of the reason Terry Collins didn't get as much guff from the Mets fan base as he probably deserved is I think if you go back, most Mets managers have been accountable. If anything, perhaps Willie Randolph may have scoffed once or twice with reporters who tried to pin specific failures on him. But even Jerry Manuel took the heat graciously and like a pro. You know, if anything, I, I think Mets fans expect their manager to take responsibility for team woes. That, that's kind of like their baseline expectation. And I think you definitely want your manager puffing his chest up in, in, in early, early February. You know, smart, snarky writers love taking pot shots when players say things like, I'm in the best shape of my life. It's the ultimate, you know, March cliche. But I truly believe the mental aspect in sports is extremely underrated. And with every clever, with all, with all the clever, savvy, and educated folks in the media community, they can spot weakness a mile away. So you really have to really have your chest out front and uh, be speaking in such such bold terms. It's it's the only way to go, especially at this stage of the game. Now you you mentioned uh, some kind of uh, thing about mentality, and, and I think that uh, we certainly need to to see that that winning mentality, and we're we're not going to back down. So I'm I'm glad to see uh, Callaway saying the the things that that he's saying. But, uh, you know, one thing we have to worry about is uh, how healthy everyone's going to be. But let's for a second be really optimistic and assume that everyone is going to be healthy, uh, particularly uh, in regards to the starting rotation. So if all of the, the pitchers who they have who've started a game for them last year are healthy and, and none of them has a particularly awful spring, what do you ex- who do you expect to be the, the five guys in the rotation in April for the Mets? Obviously, uh, Degrom is is right up there, and 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 uh, Thor falls you know, again. The the assumption that that there's health there, he he'll be at the top of the rotation. 
Mats, I mean, hey, you have to have a lefty in there somewhere, and and uh, the Mets, you know, the Mets are really pulling for him and, ho- and hoping he's going to be able to at least have one healthy season. And um, you know, and, and the Mets fans, the wonderful thing about the Mets fans, and this is kind of why they hold, you know, going to the, the infield a second, why they hold out hope for David Wright, is because they really pull for their homegrown players, and then that's the wonderful thing I've always, the number one wonderful thing. I've noticed about Met, Met, uh, Met fans is that they love their homegrown players. They love David Wright to pieces. And, and it's killing all of us to see him going through this. And, and I think we all know how this is going to end, and it's probably going to end pretty soon. Um, but, you know, to get back to pitching, you're looking at Thor, you're looking at DeGrom, you're looking at Mats, you're looking at Harvey and Wheeler. Now, you have to have some belief that Scott Forrest has hypnotized Harvey into, into thinking he can be at least 50% of what he once was. He has to be, or else he's not getting a payday. And, you know, again, there's a lot of writers who think young players shouldn't sign extensions because they're leaving money on the table. And for non-hurlers, he could probably talk me into that argument. But look at Harvey. After 2015, there were dollar signs in Boris's eyes waiting for the end of this season and the end of and, and his ability to, to uh, enjoy free agency. Maybe if he was a little smarter and, and knew Harvey better, he gives the Mets an extra two years, sets his client up for life, and then gets a Darvish-style contract in his age 31 season. Boris clearly overplayed his hand here. And as for Wheeler, you know, this is obviously his last chance as well. I've always been curious to see what Zach Wheeler, the eighth inning guy, looks like. Still almost a a strikeout per inning, but smarter fans I talk to, college-level scouts tell me he still has control issues. A 150 whip is just not going to get it done in the big leagues. Ultimately, it's Syndergaard, DeGrom, Mats, Harvey Wheeler, with Lugo and... um, Gazelman waiting in the wings. Now, a couple of things there that uh, you said that I want to respond to. I mean, you were talking about uh, Boris uh, maybe missing a chance to get an extension for Harvey, and I don't know if that's fair to signal out or single out uh, Boris there because I don't think any agent in in that particular uh, situation would have advised their client to sign away uh, free agency there. So I don't, I don't know if that's fair to 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 count as a black mark against Boris. And I have to agree uh, with uh, the the scouts that you talked to that talked about Wheeler because he's got such difficulty getting started in games. And he's the, the, the master of the 25 or 30 pitch first inning. And I don't know if you ne- that necessarily translates itself well yeah. to the bullpen. Uh, maybe, yeah, I, you know, if he I, just came on and, and, and said, all right, well, screw it. The only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to throw gas. You know, and, and try to throw every pitch 98, 99 miles an hour, and maybe he can get away with that and improve his control somewhat. But that that seems a little bit of a wishful thinking to me. Yeah, well, that I guess wishful thinking is what spring training is all about, you know, and, and that would be the hope there. You know, um, I, I think that he, I, I have some different thinking than what most agents do, and I think in 2018 there is an expectation that pitchers will get hurt. And I think, and I, I believe this, that certain pitchers, in, in, in Harvey's case, he's a pretty fragile pitcher. And for him, after that season, the Mets might have been willing to give him an extra year. That's an extra $7 million, $8 million, $9 million in his pocket that he's probably not going to get now unless he has a miraculous recovery. And um, my, my, the way I look at things like that, and especially for pitchers, if you have an opportunity to get an extension – you know, if you're a young pitcher, you know, like with Kershaw, he had his extension, and then he's going to be a free agent very shortly in the next few years. So I, I think that 
I think that if you can get a little extra money on, in your pocket, you do it. All right, well, let's talk about a guy who's got a, a whole lot of money in his pocket already, and that's Adrian Gonzalez, who I think has something like a $20 million contract. But he's been oh. uh, with uh, three different teams this year alone, and uh, the Mets have him for minimum wage as the, the Braves are responsible for the lion's share of his contract. Um, how do you see the uh, first base shaking out for the Mets this year with uh, Gonzalez and Dom Smith? I absolutely love this move. It's like Reyes two years ago. It's a distressed purchase. There's no financial risk at all, and um, and I I, I adore the move. I adore the thinking. It doesn't hurt to see another team is picking up the tab. I think we'll know by the end of spring training if there's anything left in the tank with Gonzalez. I will say this. His splits from 2017 are pretty ugly. Batted 221 away from Chavez Ravine, and then 191 versus Southpaws. What does look interesting is his small sample of pinch hitting. Four for 11 with three walks. It is a small sample, but I, I think that bodes well for what his, what his uh, job description could be at this point. You know, he was a fantastic first baseman at one time. I, I would hope that Alderson, but I would also hope that Alderson conveyed to him that this role was as much an advisory role to Dominic Smith as a participatory role for himself. That the Mets said, basically, look, you can win this job out of spring training, but part of your job is to mentor this kid because he is our first baseman in 2019. Um, I, I definitely think the Mets need him to, to mentor Dom Smith. I, Gonzalez is, is most likely not making the Hall of Fame, but 14-year vets with 130 OPS plus and 300 home runs, you know, he may not be headed to Cooperstown, but he certainly doesn't have to buy a ticket. I, I, I love the signing. Gonzalez was a, a fabulous player, as you note, for a number of years, but I have to say I really, really don't like the trajectory. In 2015, he was, he was a good player. In 2016, he was a below-average player. And then last year, he was awful. And I just have a, a big uh, concern that we see a giant fork sticking out of his back. I, I think he's done. I think that uh, any at-bats he gets during the regular season are, are ones that are going to be taken away from Dom Smith. And uh, I want to say for the record that I'm against this signing. I don't see anything good coming out of it. I think it's 1990 Keith Hernandez in Cleveland all over again. Yeah, it really could. It could be Bobby Abreu with the Mets as well, but it also could be Gary Sheffield. You don't know with these things when you have – He's not a Hall of Famer, as I mentioned, but he's Hall of Fame caliber. And when you have a Hall of Fame caliber guy, these guys got to where they were with their confidence in themselves and their ego. And I don't think guys like that want to show themselves out the door with a 150 average. And maybe there's lightning in a bottle. And for what he could possibly teach and tutor Dom Smith at first base, the Mets could use some more defense in their infield. So I think in that sense, even if he's gone by June, if he can impart some wisdom on this kid, then I think the move is worth it. Now, you mentioned just a second ago Jose Reyes. I'd like to talk about him for a second. And I want to know, you know, you go into the season thinking that Asdrubal Cabrera is the second baseman and that uh, Jose Reyes is the primary backup at uh, short second and probably even third base. But are you confident that at this point in time that Asdrubal Cabrera is a better player than Jose Reyes? Some of their numbers sure do match up, right? I mean, you, you've made a really excellent observation here. You know, the, the problem is neither one of them are impressing anyone with the glove. You know, but you, you look at the, their, their batting statistics and what they put up last year, you know, Reyes had 15 home runs. Cabrera had 14. 
Reyes had 58 RBIs. Cabrera had 59. Um, you know, Cabrera had 134 hits. Reyes had 123. Reyes had 25 doubles and seven triples. And Cabrera had 32 doubles and no triples. So it, it's really, their numbers are very, very similar. Um, you know, but the problem is Cabrera still manages to get on base at a 350 uh, on base percentage. Reyes simply doesn't get on base enough, which is a shame because he's still stealing bases at an 80% rate, which, you know, for a 34-year-old, I, you know, that, that's, that's still very impressive. Unfortunately, he's become a liability with the glove, and Cabrera's not much better. You know, but you, you certainly make a, a solid observation how close their numbers are, though. But you know what? I would like T.J. Rivera to get a long, long look this spring. Yeah, I'd be real curious to see what kind of time frame we're looking at before Rivera is able to, to come back because the guy's done nothing but hit when he's been given a chance in the majors. 304 uh, average in the two uh, you know, cups of coffee with the Mets. It's, um, you know, <laughs> I think you know, that's an idea that we were, we were looking at. And it's really, you know, the organization this decade, when considering Justin Turner and Daniel Murphy, hasn't exactly established a savvy track record for evaluating middle infield talent and its long-term prospects. So um, yeah, I would like to see what, uh, what he has to offer at this point. All right, well, let's switch over and, and talk about the uh, pitching again. This time we'll, we'll talk about the bullpen. And Mickey Calloway has, has come out and, and said that the team won't necessarily have a set closer. And uh, I don't know, that, that strikes me as a little odd. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea, but it, it strikes me as odd. And I just want to know what you think about that declaration by Callaway. You know, you know it's funny. Um, he's, definitely, he's definitely not, as we, as we mentioned, a conventional choice. But if I recall, and, and I know you remember this too, back in the early 80s, the Mets, you know, Frank Cashin made a very unconventional choice. He, he named Davey Johnson his manager. And all the guy had was, was a couple years of managing in the Mets organization. And, and all that Davey Johnson talked about that spring was his computer and the stats and how he looked at everything. And, uh, and it was a different perspective. And, and I thought I was, um, I, was in, I guess, as impressed as a 14-year-old eighth grader can be, I was impressed. You know, as, as, you know talking about Callaway, in bullpen by committee, it's worked before, you know, most notably the, the 85 Cardinals. You know, here's something that, that may, gives me a little pause. I'm curious about, is he providing cover for Familia? to give him time to settle back into the role without explicitly saying that. <coughs> Excuse me. That could be the case as well. And, and, and as we've seen, this is an innovative guy. He did wonders for the Cleveland pitching staff. I mean, I, li- I like that Alderson, as advanced as Sandy is at this stage in his career, this is a ballsy hire. It's certainly an out-of-the-box thought. You like to see that. You, know? you don't want to just see Bob, him hiring Bob Guerin. You don't want to see that. You want to see some kind of creativity. Um, in my view, I kind of I'm on your wavelength. I would be surprised if, with if Familia is not back in his role by June, and if we're and, and if we're stopped and we're no longer talking about this by uh, by the end of May. The the curious thing, the, what really makes this interesting to me, is the acquisition last year of Ramos, who of course has been the closer for for the Marlins. So it, it's not like they're going into this with guys who maybe have a save here or a save there. Ramos, you would think, would be very comfortable in the ninth inning. So they've got two guys who who seem to be have what it takes to be the closer. And the old saying is, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. 
and I'm, I'm yeah. just a, a tiny bit concerned that maybe the the same thing will will develop here. But you know, like you said, it, it's not uh, managing by numbers, which we've seen way too much of the past seven years. So uh, I'm I'm a little bit a little bit worried, but um, I'm willing to follow Callaway on this one. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see what Ramos really has to offer. It's you know, kind of, again, the the mental aspect of pitching with the Marlins and and with everything was hovering over the team this year. His numbers weren't that great. I mean, you're looking at his uh, fielding independent pitching was close to four, which is not good at all. He had an ERA of 3.63 for, for relievers, not great, only 20 saves. And, um, you know, his, his strikeout rate was pretty good, but um, he did give up a lot of hits. I, I, I think it's at some point, you know, Callaway wants to see what he has with Familia, and if Familia can be back on his toes, he'll be back on his toes by, uh, by, by mid, mid-May or so, and, and you're looking at Ramos as a seventh or eighth inning guy. We'll see. All right. Well, something has developed here early in in spring training that that gave me a, a chuckle, and that was the news that they were the Mets were going to have Wilmer Flores working out in the outfield. And I want to know it, from you: is is uh, is Flores in the outfield? Is is this a horrible idea, or is this the worst idea ever? It, you know what? Are they trying to turn him into a Lee Lacy like super sub? And excuse the old aged reference there. You know, is or Ben Zobras type guy. I'm so afraid that Flores and Flores ends up as like the next Jeff Kent. You know, Kent's OPS plus was you know with the Mets is very similar to what Flores has put up in the last couple of years. You know, I know he had like 510 plate appearances uh, a couple of years back. I'd like to see him at some position and uh, just sitting there and, and see what he can do. I, I just have a, have a feeling that we're going to see him in Colorado somewhere or in Cleveland or. Uh, or even in Boston or something, and, and putting up great numbers. I mean, we know he's he has that clutch twinkle in his eye that he can hit when 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 the chips are down. Um, I don't know if he's going to get lost in the mix here because I know that Sandy really wants to see uh, Brandon Nemo succeed. He loves his on base percentage. You know, I don't know how much how effective it's going to be to have two players, Reyes and Flores, who can play six positions on the bench. I don't know. Well, um, you know, I think that the the nicest thing that the Mets could do would be to trade Flores to somewhere where he could be the DH that he was meant to be. The idea of a guy who has no footwork uh, skills whatsoever in the infield and who doesn't have an arm that can make the throw from third base is is somehow going to survive in the outfield, that just seems like a, a... unbelievably bad idea for me but you know I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's uh, this is one of the ways where the new manager gives himself a laugh um, uh, throwing a, a guy out into a uh, position he has absolutely no plans whatsoever to play him just to give the press something to write about that's very that's very true and you know what else I think I think that the organization is aware that the fans adore this guy Everybody loves Wilmer Flores, and they want to see it work out. They're trying to figure out some way to make the square peg fit into the round hole. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I know that that it does look to me that they're trying to do whatever they can to kind of keep him in the mix before, you know, figuring out by the end of the year, God, we don't don't want to get rid of this guy. He's He's almost a fan favorite, but we're going to have to do something. So. All right, well, the Mets have no shortages of guys coming back from injury, and they've also got a a few new free agents uh, in the mix 
So I'm curious to find out from you, who are you most interested to see perform this year in spring training and why? I think we talked about uh, Rivera. Hopefully he'll, he'll be around in the spring to, to show us what he can do. Gonzalez, I mean, I, you know what it is? I, I kind of, when I was a, a big baseball card collector, there was always these, they would have the, the, the set that came out in, in February and March, and then in August they'd have the traded set. And I love the traded sets because it had all the traded players and whatnot and, and veterans on new teams and everything. And I, I, and I kind of have a soft spot for that as well as uh, the homegrown guys. I, wanna, I really want to see Gonzalez work out. I really want to see Matt Harvey, you know, not throw up a 6 ERA. Um, you know, it's just you don't want to see a 29-year-old guy whose career is not at all where it was supposed to be. And, uh, you know, as, as much hubris and, and, and almost schadenfreude as uh, – as Harvey made people feel about him, at this point he's almost he's the comeback kid, and you, and you want to see you want to see him succeed, even if that means you know Eric Davis style he comes or Steve Avery comes back as a monster year and leaves, you know you want you you want to see him do well, and so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of stuff he has left on his fastball, or is he learning how to get guys out in in other ways. All right, well, we've reached the uh, part of the show where we uh, give each other our crazy predictions. I'll give you my own, and I'll ask you to to comment on it, and uh, you tell me if you think if it's crazy or not, and then uh, you'll give me your crazy prediction. So my crazy prediction lends itself uh, a little bit to to what we talked on briefly earlier in the show, and uh, um, that's uh, Matt Harvey and uh, his contract. um, My crazy prediction this week is that the Mets are going to sign Matt Harvey to a contract extension before he becomes a free agent. So how crazy is that? Uh, I think that that's pretty out of bounds, man. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't know if there's any love lost between these guys. I haven't heard anything or heard any rumblings or anything. If they're, you know, still a match made in heaven, if they're still, if, if there's any kind of relationship there. Um, I, th- I think it's weird. If he doesn't succeed, I'm not sure he's still around in 2019. If he does succeed, he's gone. But that, 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 that's pretty off the wall, I think. But, yeah, you know, I, I hope he succeeds, well, as I said. Each week I, I give a crazy prediction or what I think is a crazy prediction, and, and most times I offer it up to the guest, and the guest goes, no, nah, I don't think that's crazy. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, you think that, that what I give this week is crazy. All right, hit me with yours. At Harvey, he's just like he got so many people annoyed. He's, he, he, it would be a great bet if it pays off is what I'm saying. All right, what's yours? Mine. Um I think Jay Bruce is gone by August once the Mets realize that Conforto's okay and Nemo is established as an everyday center fielder and leadoff man. Um, I I can't get upset with the um, yeah and and I don't know if if you want to if if you had some thoughts here but uh, you know talking about Bruce I don't love free agents I love guys in their contract year I I do again and it plays all into the the, the mental aspect of the game. That somebody has that carrot stick in front of their in front of their face, and Bruce played like a guy last year who had that carrot stick. And granted, it wasn't as tasty as he thought it might have been. It's only nine million a year for three years, or whatever it was, ten million or something. But um, but he did get a, a nicer contract, and he had a good year. Got a taste of the postseason. Um, you know, I think that 
you know, the Mets really want to see Conforto succeed, and, and he looked so much like the Mets' version of Don Mattingly early in the year when, when he really was hitting well. And I like to think of him as that. And, um, and again, I know the Mets have an interest in seeing Nemo succeed. Um, and because, uh, again, he's also under, he's under control for a number of years, like half a decade or so. And uh, they want to make sure that they, they are set in the outfield now. And that could also mean at some point maybe they deal Juan Lagares. And, and uh, you know, although he'll probably stick around as, as Cespedes Insurance. But, you know, I, I think that if Conforto's healthy and Nemo's doing well, I think you're going to see Bruce uh, go elsewhere. Well, I have to say that the idea that the, the Mets would trade somebody that they just signed to a three-year contract uh, before the first year is even uh, completed, uh, I have that that's crazy. So uh, outstanding work on the, on the crazy prediction. Um, I, I like I like your reasoning behind it. Uh, I wish I shared your same belief that the the Mets were really invested in seeing Nimmo succeed because I think that what we've seen for the most part this off season is is almost the exact opposite of that. Um, and I almost think that uh, uh, they're more curious to see what uh, Lagaris can do. Uh, given the the new off-season uh, work with the hitting coaches that turned J.D. Martinez around. So it'll be curious to see what they do while Conforto is out, how they uh, divide up the center field duties. I mean, you would think that they might go with the platoon, but that would many more at-bats to, to Nimmo being the, the lefty swinger of the two. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see how they plan to, to cover center field and if they give it outright to Nimmo or, or give him the, the – the larger share of the platoon, then, then maybe you're right. But I, I have my doubts. Yeah, you know, I, I really, again, Ligaris is another, another one of those, you know, homegrown ball players, and, and you want to see them do well. And it, it was so great that the Mets had so many of those guys in 2015. And, and even that they all were around, you know, Cespedes, but it's just it was great to see these young guys doing so well. And uh, it, would be, it would be nice to see him. It would be nice to see him out there and, and you know, playing just as well in the, uh, in the outfield as he has been historically. That would be great, too. So. All right. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Jay Bruce. And then, you know, your crazy prediction was that they were going to deal him. And then, you know, even leaving aside that crazy prediction for a moment, the, the Mets signed Bruce for, I think it was a 339 deal, with, which at the time, you know, most people thought, well, that's fair. That's that's a good deal. But given that we're still in the middle of the slow market, do you think the Mets would like a a, a do-over with that signing right now? I mean, it's possible. I, I think that <clears throat> it's such a tough game. I, I suppose that you know, if if you eke out a million dollars against the player, is the player going to take that out on you? Is it worth you know? Um, is it worth that extra million dollars that you got over on him to, to, to get him in there? Is, is he going to be very resentful for, for, for the time that he's with you for doing that? I don't know. Um, you know, they probably, could they probably have gotten him for, I don't know, three, four million less, maybe. But I, I think that really, you know, poisons the waters between player and management by doing that. Um, granted, they got very lucky with Frazier. It's a signing I, I, I endorse and, he should do well here, and and more important, you know, the best aspect of that that deal for me is the defense. You know, I, I think that I really think that the defensive uh, nature with their with their team last year, a lot of their problems were caused by defense, 
And if they can shore that up, you know, they're not going to be a 92-loss ball club this year if they can do that. And, and this is a very good start toward that. With Bruce, you know, again, maybe they could have got him for 4 or $5 million less, maybe $6 million, but, you know, it's their money. And, and, uh, and, I, and I think it's, it's better for, uh, for, the, for the nature of the relationship between the two, of, the two of them for them just to get it done. Now, you were talking about the improved defense that we should see, and, and certainly the infield defense last year was a huge problem, and it should be a big upgrade starting from day one with a, a left side of the infield with Todd Frazier at third and Ahmed Rosario at short. And I want to talk real quickly here. we got about a minute and a half left, uh, Ahmed Rosario. Um, you know, we've seen so many really good young shortstops come up in the last four or five years or so, and is is there anyone you would compare him to right now, or do you think his career is going to unfold more like Francisco Lindor or Orlando Arcia? Um, uh, what do you what do you think about Rosario, and what should we expect? Well, Lindor batted three thirteen at the same age uh, as Rosario. They're both twenty one years old. I'm not sure about that one. Arcia, I mean, they're very very similar stat lines in their age twenty one season, and then uh, Arcia got a little bit better. You know, his, his OPS plus went up a little bit. His defense improved a little bit. He still struck out 100 times. I think the career tra- trajectory, as it looks right now, is more Arcea than Lindor. All right. Well, on that note, we are all out of time. I'd like to, to thank our guest, Dave Jordan, for dropping by. Uh, please go out and uh, check out his work at uh, the Hardball Times. Uh, he did a very interesting series recently here on uh, looking back at uh, some of the draft years, and we'll have to get him back on the show once we complete our look at the the, the minor league draft. And then also, if you have not read it yet, his uh, book that he co-authored with John D'Aquisto, Fastball John, is an absolutely fabulous book that you should absolutely go out and read. Thanks for being on the show tonight. Uh, Brian, this is always awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Please join us again next Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Good night, everyone, and goodbye.